37 Disney Street, which isn't far from you, three Disney fans have watched a film which they will now review. Hello friends and welcome to 37 Disney Street. This week we're reviewing classic number 44, 2004's Home on the Range. Kill the goat! I'm Chris Fletcher. Let me guess, you're a Taurus. I'm Lucy Rain. My hair got stuck in that spit tune. Hello children. I'm Hugh Red. Yeah. Hello. Well, we're, we're reaching a dark, dark period in the uh, in the world of Disney animated films today, aren't we? We've we've had dark periods before, Chris. We can take we it. We're tough. Well, you say we... that, but you know what? To show my hand early, I think this is a little uh, ray of sunshine in the dark. I thoroughly period. enjoyed it. I, really I did. did. Really did thoroughly enjoy it. And it I, I've seen I've seen it once before, but I thought I couldn't remember much about it, and I thought. Mm, I'm willing to give it a go, but I'm not expecting mm-hmm. much. And had a right nice time. I've never seen it before, so my expectations actually were that it was going to be a 3D animation. So that was, that's how 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 little what? I knew about it. Yeah, <laughs> I, fact, I was entirely surprised. I was writing so many notes that I was a bit annoyed that I wasn't getting a chance to watch it. So I'm due to watch it again. It's only an hour and sixteen minutes or something. So twenty-three. Oh right, hour um, and twenty-three minutes. A bit long Google. actually. Google. Yeah, there's there's extra seven minutes. What Google could you lied do with to that? me. Google lied. <laughs> Maybe some some scene, uh, scenes that were taken out. Some, um, somewhere it says an hour and sixteen. I thought, oh, that's it's all right. Yeah. There you are. I'd look on um, the Disney Plus app, but it's just not working for me. I've I've, I've uh, reinstalled it and everything, and it's just it's just dead. Oh no! Do you know what? Can I just tell you before we kick into the history and stuff? I sat down earlier. I'm um, thinking, oh, I've got 15 minutes before we go live on the DLP show. I'm going to make myself a cup of tea. So I filled up the kettle, um, and then I walked over to the computer just to check and make sure everything was all right. And Lucy said, have you got the password for Zoom? So I sent her the password and thought, oh, they're going to come on now, aren't they? So I've actually got the kettle next to me, next to my desk, waiting to uh, to make a cup of tea with. Um, but I'm probably better off without it now because it's getting late, isn't it? don't want caffeine in me when I'm going to sleep. See, that's that's a level of organised. You don't get everywhere. You don't get that in the seat of government. Do you sitting there with a the half boiled kettle next to you? Nope. I, I do that, Chris. Uh, sometimes uh, if I come down to make a, a cup of hot water while I'm working, mm. um, and then I realise I forgot my cup, kettle goes with me, and then I can have two up there. I can have Genius. two hot waters without having to leave my desk. That is very clever. Mm. <laughs> do you want to talk oh, about it, Lucy? The- <laughs> the life of working working from home, eh? It's glamour. Would, shall we do some history? Yeah, let's. Okay. It's time to dig a little deeper to learn some Disney stuff. Dig a little deeper. No, we ain't dug this far enough. Dig deep into the facts. We'll find out what we need. Lucy will school us, guaranteed. Open up the windows! Let in the light! Children! This was released on the 2nd of April 2004. If you remember from last week, it actually flipped release dates with Brother Bear because they wanted to promote Brother Bear on Lion King Platinum Edition, not because they were having problems with Home on the Range, or so they say. Mm-hmm. Um, this had been pitched in the early nineties. Uh, they had, do you remember? They had the Gong Show, where all the the like top brass were invited to come and pitch movies, and that's oh, where yeah, Little Mermaid yeah. came out of, and all that. Yes. And um, so Mike Gabri- uh, Gabriel pitched this at the Gong Show. He project, well, he pitched a western, um, and he wanted to remake something like Annie Get Your Gun. Uh, but it was just a generic Western or Pocahontas. And Pocahontas got chosen, so mm-hmm. this went on the back burner. After completing Pocahontas, to, to great acclaim, wasn't a massive money maker, but it was an acclaimed film, um, he came back to this idea. And what he wanted to do was combine Captain's Courage by Rudyard Kipling um, with a Western setting. 
Peter Schneider, who was the, uh, the head of animation at the time, he liked it. Uh, and it was titled Sweating Bullets. Sweating Bullets. Oh, well, I Sweating Bullets. I don't know how I feel about that title. I don't know how I feel about any film that's got sweat in the title. <laughs> well, they're not going to go with bullets, are they, for a Disney film? Well, no. I mean, they did for many, many years. It was a working title for like... Working. Working title for like five years. Placeholder. It was yeah. initially a supernatural western um, about... <laughs> what? A naive boy who um, accidentally visits a cowboy ghost town. Oh, okay, Ghost Town, right? Ghost oh. Town. Yeah, do you know that sounds good? Like already? I know, I thought that when I read it. I thought it's Coco that. meets the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, um, and then it was reconceived to be about a little bull called Bullet, um, but they kept the supernatural element. Um, right. And then basically, development hit a brick wall. So in 1999, they attempted to salvage the production and all the concept art and all the character design that had been done. Mm-hmm. Um, and the base, that's what they took. They took the visuals and said, do something with this. Uh, so Michael Labash, writer, came on um, and developed something similar to the story that we have today. And in 2000, Mike Gabriel was removed because of persistent story issues Persistent issues with the star. It wasn't making his stuff film. up. <laughs> well, it wasn't his film, basically, was it? You know, he pitched Annie Get Your Gun how long ago, and then he pitched something about ghosts, and now all yeah, of a sudden yeah. they were doing this. And he was there, they were making stuff about cows, and he kept going, why don't you put, like, a ghost in here? And they'd say, dude, it's over. <laughs> Enough <laughs> with the ghosts. Stop saying that. You say it every meeting. <laughs> So they brought in Will Finn, um, who had previously worked from Disney, but left and gone to DreamWorks and directed uh, The Road to El Dorado. They brought him back and senior animator John Sanford for this production. Alan Menken did the music. In Mm. 1998, he had signed a long-term deal with Disney to produce however many uh, musical score, more musical scars for them. He was attached to it when it was called Sweating Bullets, um, and he wrote. I think, I think he wrote eleven original songs for it. I think there's about five in the final thing. Yeah, something like that. Five, um, five six. And he was he was sort of brought on to working actively on this about eighteen months after Hercules. Of course, he was working on Sweating Bullets, and when the story was rewritten. Um, the the person writing the story inherited the music as well, so it's really mm. kind of gone a bit backwards. Concept art and music, story patchwork quilted can into you, it. Can you do something with this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got these bits left over from a film. Can you do something with them? It's like uh, cat cut work cut where they just come in Make with a, a stew. Yeah, with a bag of ingredients <laughs> and go do something with this. Um. So, Will the Sun Ever Shine Again was written by Alan Menken in response to the 9-11 attacks. That that reminds me of uh, the Beach Boys song in response to JFK's assassination, The Warmth of the Sun. I love that song. It's good, isn't it? I like that song too. I don't know that song, but now I really, really want to look it up and listen to it because I like the Beach Boys. That one. Yeah. What a treat for our listeners that was. <laughs> yeah, especially when it doesn't sync up. <laughs> um, KD Lang sung um, Little Patch of Heaven. Mm. Uh, Bonnie, Bonnie Raitt. You said this earlier as if I should know who she was. No, no, it's because I said to Bonnie, who's called Bonnie Rain, do you know who sung this? Bonnie Raitt. Ah, uh, okay. You didn't get that. Well, I kind of got that, but also you, you said it with a certain amount of authority. Tenuous. Yeah. And that is, I, everything else I've got is uh, financial and reception, so we shall talk about that wow. at the end. So that, that, that was short but sweet. That's appeal. brief. <laughs> Can well. I just go start, though? I mean, you guys have already said that you, you quite enjoyed this. Mm. I never think it's a good, I can't think of a single example of a Disney film where they've gone through this um, total trashing it, rewriting it, reworking it. 
bringing different people on board, etc. And it's turned out to be one of the absolute classics. We have had mm-hmm. maybe a dozen that have gone through this life cycle and they always tend to sort of miss the mark. And I think it gets worse as well. Once you get to the CG films, I'm thinking of uh, The Good Dinosaur. That had a complete yeah. rewrite. Yeah. I think John Lithgow was in it. Um I'm sure I read that, and when I've looked, I'm sure you've said up, that before. Yeah. I've tried to look it up since, and it, like I can't find any evidence. But I'm sure John Lithgow was in it, and he got his character got taken out, and that film is such a mess, mm. and it just it wears its like meddling and its rewrites on its sleeve. And uh, yeah, anyway, that's just an example. But I, I, I'll show my hand, and then I'm going to stop for a second because I want the sip of my drink anyway. I didn't not enjoy it, but I would very much <laughs> what, like what. I would very much liken it to the kind of um, movie that you'd stumble on on a Saturday morning as a kid. It was, mm. It'd be on Channel 4. You didn't intend to watch it. You watched it. You enjoyed it. It was good. Um, I don't think it's up to Disney standards, and I don't think it's a cinema-worthy film. I think it's a straight-to-video, a good straight-to-video film. A really good straight-to-video. Like, yeah. really good. Oh, I wouldn't say really good. I'd say good. But I'd say yeah. Simba's Pride good. Um but so, and I kind of I think it's a foreshadowing when you when you hear of these you know bodge job developments you think it's never going to be Aladdin is it? I think it slots very nicely or would slot very nicely into the previous dark age to be quite honest the period yes. of time and where it where it was the way it looks as well I mean I know we'll talk about the story and the animation and the music in in a little while like we always do but. Um, for me, it felt like it was a slice of something from um, what twenty years previous, mm. and and uh, in that sense, I was quite surprised by it because I wasn't expecting that at all. I, I was expecting, I guess, what I'm expecting from uh, from the wild in, in the not too distant future, or what I expect what I'd expect from any Madagascar sequel. But again, I was expecting a three D <laughs> film, so <laughs> yeah. You know, it just because films in that time, animated films in that time, really on the whole, American ones in particular, were just a bit of a mess. There was there was a lot of kind of strange things going on because they were playing with the medium and trying to move suddenly bring in three D and do something. Pixar were obviously doing things and doing it well, but everyone else was trying to follow suit. And it, I don't know. I think the late the late nineties, early nineties is for the first time in seventy years. Disney has got numerous competitors for an, for the animation kids market, and I know the Dream. Well, when did DreamWorks come around? It was only the mid nineties, wasn't it? Mm. And then you got Don Bluth. Shrek was about ninety eight or nine. Okay. But, I mean, okay. If you if you look at the um, the sixties and the seventies, they had no competition, did they? No competition <laughs> at all. Two thousand one. <laughs> Two thousand one. So, Sorry. Yeah. I was just thinking like that's the where they stole I, the horse from then. <laughs> the people that I saw that with, it's like, were we still going to the cinema with him in two thousand one? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Carry on. Yeah. Just saying there, that that's obviously where the the fact that Shrek's only three years before, that's obviously where they got the idea of the of the uh, the horse character in this film, isn't it? Because it's very donkey. Well, I also, thought it was. when was Jerry Jerry Maguire? Uh ninety six. Because you've got Cuba Gooding Jr. Mm. voicing there, and um, I, I, it, got, I, I thought he was a good voice. To I, got, be fair. I, I got that one right. Oh, uh, uh, did you? I, yeah, I did. Well, but well since talk, since it's, it seems very much like on Vogue. He's hot right now. Get him in. Sorry, go on. No, we'll in. talk about it in a bit. Okay. Yeah. Should we get some what? kids in then? Yeah, let's see what the kids have to say. But um, what Lucy's which just cut her off. Um, oh. But uh, <laughs> listen out, Chris, because. I got the old harmonica out for this one because uh, I know how to play Home on the Range. We just watched Home on the Range. It's about three cows and, yeah, they have to save the farm because it's going to get closed down. So, a cow is in a farm and there's other cows and... Alameda Slim steals all the cows, so she's the only one left, so she goes to another farm 
and then three cows, two other cows with her, go looking for money to save their farm. So they go into town to get some money. There's a bad man who yodels to hypnotise cows. If you caught him, you would get £750. And someone called... What's his name again? Rico. Rico is also looking for him. And then they went and fought Slim. And then everyone realised it was Slim. And then... There's a train which goes off the tracks and it bangs straight to the farm. They defeated Slim, he was put in jail and they brought the farm back and then they lived happily ever after. My favourite bit was the ending when there's a little chick who wants to be a cockerel and then at the end it just stands on the gate and goes My favourite bit was all of it. And my favourite bit was the start because uh, it had music. My favourite character is the yellow cow. Uh, I liked all of the characters. Uh, the little chickies, because they are yellow. My favourite song was the yodel song. Yellowly. Slim likes to yodel, and there's the wonderful world of Mickey Mouse, and the first episode called Cheese Wranglers, Mickey Mouse Yodels. Can you do a bit of yodelling for us? Uh, I don't know how to. You go like this. No, I don't want to do that. Go on, have a go. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> I would give it a four again. I would give it a four out of five. Uh, a five out of seven. All right, that was the story. Was that some kind of weird, like, Cockney accent you just tried to do then, Hugh? Because your face, you pulled a funny face when you said that then. I don't know I... what I was doing. Yeah. It wasn't specifically Cockney, but it was just... It was a bit strange. A <laughs> little um, strange, that's all. Yeah, should we uh, talk about the story then? Let us. So it's time to discuss how the story goes, I know. It can't be worse than Oliver well, my initial thought was it was just fun and refreshing. The stakes feel pretty low, really. I mean, it's just like one little farm that needs saving and they don't have to, you know... They they travel a bit, but it doesn't. it's not epic. It's just it's small-scale yeah. problems. And uh, I was just... I was along for the ride, straight off. Makes a nice change, doesn't it? Because we've had a lot of emotional stuff going on in the past few films and quite, yeah. like, older kid... Um, aimed, aimed at older kids, you know, Treasure Planet, Atlantis, um, even Lilo and Stitch, you know, it's got real kind of uh, older kid problems and stuff. Was, and and yeah, this is just a bit of light-hearted fun, isn't it? And and you know, it's predictable, but you know there's going to be a bit where the the old lady sort of goes, oh, I'm going to have to sell the farm, and then she looks all sad and like walks into yeah. her house, and that basically happened, but you knew it was going to be all right. Yeah. So it was just yeah. enjoyable. It, it never got too heavy. Yeah, there was no way this film was going to end with um, that old lady out on the street going away penniless on the back of a cart, was there? Well, there Not never is, but, it, but you know it's never going to get like really dark. There's just like a little moment where there's an auction and she, you know, she has to sell, but then two seconds later the cows turn up. Yeah, <laughs> on a train. Yeah. How did we <laughs> feel about the cows? Um, it felt oh, sometimes it felt a bit like a hocus pocus dynamic. There's, yeah, just because, did, just because yeah. there was a ditzy one, and then the other two were interchangeable. There's like a leader and a well-to-do one, but yeah, especially when the the two bulls were chatting them up, and and at one point uh, <laughs> he said driver. to Judy Dench's character, "Oh, sorry, I thought you were the blonde one," and that just reminded me of the bus driver bit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I, you got used to it very quick. I think I thought it was going to be odd to start off with. Um, again, we'll talk about animation in a bit, but I thought the way they looked was a little bit weird. Um, and so I wasn't particularly on board, but it, it, in spite of the fact that one of them was Roseanne, they, they brought me in and I, yeah, I, I just accepted it all. I got on with it. I'm kind of glad you've said that 
I do not like Roseanne Barr for numerous reasons. And I, it really, I found it very off-putting in this film. And Randy Quaid. Very off-putting. Randy Quaid's in it. Yeah. Even if you mm. didn't know it was Randy Quaid, you can tell it's Randy Quaid because he's most definitely been, been made to look like him, hasn't he? Hmm. Mm. So you've got a couple of... Um... But, I mean, How apart from apart Hot from Rosanna as, as a person, I don't like her voice, her manner. I don't like the um, I'm trash but I'm proud of it. With, um, you know, brashness. mannerisms. Brashness, that's it. And that was yeah, brought yeah. out in it. And I found it grating from the off. And I really enjoyed it in spite of her rather I... than because of her. I, I liked her voice in it. Did you? I, yeah. I did. I thought, and I thought it was she a good dynamic it. with her and 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 Judy Dench and the way the the complete opposites kind of worked well. And then you've got um, I can't remember her name. The, the other one in, in between them as well, who's kind of Jennifer Tilly. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, the one out of liar liar, isn't it? Oh, do you know what? There's a bit where she's like uh, pretending like she can't sing, but she clearly can. And you can mm-hmm. hear, like, sometimes she's just got singing on one note, and other times she's kind of getting the tune. And I thought, do you know what? When you can sing, it's really difficult to sound like you can't sing. And she yeah. wasn't she wasn't exactly nailing it in a funny way. It was like, oh, you can actually sing, can't you? So you're struggling <laughs> not to sing. Yes. Yeah, she, tin... she actually... Sorry, go on. Go on. No, go on. If you're I, was gonna start, sh- I was going to change the subject, so you carry on. No, I was just going to say, when she sang Home on the Range, she literally just sang a different tune. Yeah. And it was quite tuneful what she sang, it just wasn't the tune to Home on the Range. <laughs> the turning point for me, story-wise, when I started to think, oh, this is this is quite funny and um, unique in its way, is when they brought out the, the yodeler as the baddie. They'd kind of, you know, they'd built him up to a certain way, they'd had him perceived in a certain way, and it genuinely shocked me. I had to double take when it when he turned orange and started yodeling because I thought, oh, is that not? Oh, sorry, I thought that was the guy. Is that not the guy? And then I worked out it it, it was it was a good twist. It was a good twist, uh, and it made it far more interesting for the rest of it. I could not wipe the smile off my face at that point in time. That whole just that whole section there was just I, I mm. thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed that. I will re- reiterate what you two have just said, but in the music section, that good. whole thing. Um, okay. <laughs> I really liked Book. I thought it was really funny. I liked the way he moved. I liked all of that. Um, I have noticed before that Cuba Gooding Jr.'s voice, um, it's not very strong. And I mean that literally. No. Like, um, like you can you can hear it losing power. And uh, often it does sound a bit, and I'm going to say it, a little bit hoarse. Oh. But, um, and I, I always say this, but exactly the same with... Um, Jude Law, he doesn't mm. have a voiceover voice, and you can hear it sort of floating and get. It doesn't have grip. It doesn't have a sort of like a punch behind it. But I think his performance was very good, though. It's just that yes. his voice is, is a bit stra- yeah. strained yeah. at times. Yeah, all right, I'll give you that. I was going to jump to those defense, but I think how you summarize yeah, oh, yeah. is absolutely he, right. He, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nothing. It's nothing he's doing. It's nothing he no. can help. Um, yeah. So, like, if I was casting someone, and, and you know, if I was on a casting committee and someone said oh what about uh, Cuba Gooding I'd go great guy lovely actor don't think he's got the voice for this though (laughs) (laughs) there you are (laughs) what else and on book there was a a bit of a this is really nitpicky is this there's a disappointing bit where he's talking to uh, the horse that's um, um, the horse that talks like that That Patrick Patrick. Warburton Patrick 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 Warburton horse um, he sort of tricks him and he says uh, he must have been taking stupid lessons from that buffalo and then the buffalo is behind him and he goes uh oh and it just annoyed me that they didn't tweak it so he went like oh, he must have been taking stupid lessons from that buffalo oh <laughs> <laughs> just combine the uh oh and the buffalo and make buffalo oh yeah that there is that is nitpicky. That's what the film was lacking. Do you know what? That's what it this was This film lacking. is so perfect that that's my <laughs> only flaw. I ju- make, make a portmanteau of Buffalo and Uh-Oh. We've talked so long about some films, so long, and I'm struggling to think what to say here. It, it, was, mm. it was a romp. It was a low stakes, mildly amusing romp. I can't even enthuse about belly laughing because I didn't. It was, it was just... <sighs> 
Yeah, there you go. I've yeah. surmised it. Yeah, because <laughs> the the themes aren't big enough. Like my notes literally, literally say stuff like, "Oh, we have a rare appearance of the goofy." That was my next thing to talk about. The fact that that's in it, and not like mm, interesting uh, angle they took with yeah, this. Yeah, it's not thematic or anything, is it? You know, no. it's just. Um, but you know what? Sometimes that's that's absolutely oh, yeah. fine, isn't it? It's refreshing. I, it's easy to put on. I tell you what, I would put this on and play like a any time. You know, without having to sit there and invest and watch and get emotionally involved mm. with anything, it's fine. I think I was busy, obviously, watching it for the first time. Um, I was trying to focus on it. My notes for the story are literally, is that Roseanne? And then I looked it up and it was. Um, so, <laughs> so I don't have a lot of notes here. What I will say about it, though, is this, and this comes to your point, Hugh, about, about the buffalo, is that I did laugh out loud quite a few times watching this, but there's an awful lot of misses. There's, there are an awful lot of things that just aren't funny and I found myself laughing at them because they weren't funny like laughing mm. at the poor humour and the badly written humour and the terrible Taurus joke like <laughs> why mm. um, but but it didn't stop me enjoying it and I enjoyed it I think like like I enjoy watching the um, the Mickey Mouse shorts the, the in a similar kind of way it was just a bit off the wall a bit nuts that whole opening with the rabbit brilliant I, yeah. I just thought it was great a really good open good strong opening to the film um and then there were just there were little bits every now and again that really really worked um the general dialogue between the cows as they were walking along was just a, a bit naff but apart from that i didn't like i said it didn't stop me enjoying it i've got <laughs> a, really a, it. a rewrite suggestion it occurred to me and i thought that would be interesting and um, you know this um alameda slim character like, yeah. what if all along he was desperate to get all of this farm and he was saying, nothing's going to stop me getting this farm. But that's as far as he went, like, with it, you know, just saying that. And then it turned out he wanted to he wanted to buy it because maybe he grew up there as a kid and he wanted to save it. And I thought, oh, that would have been a nice little twist. You know, that like, is a nice idea. Like, yeah. like, the cows are chasing him and they're trying to stop him, but in the end they fail. And it turns out he's just trying to save it. And I just thought, well, if they'd have done something different like that, just like not just have a you know a standard two D villain, you know, he's like foreclosures, my game. Like, oh, is it? That's the point where I thought, what if they'd have done this? Well, I mean, he's shooting himself in the foot anyway, isn't he? Because what he's doing is he's buying up all these places at auction. He's stealing the cattle and then selling them to somebody else. So they go, they're gone, no cattle. <laughs> He then mm. takes the farms with no cattle, so basically he has a load of land and nothing else. What? What's the? What's the point? <laughs> yeah. what, what's he going to do with it? It's literally it's, it's a it's a cow farm that has two cows. By the way, it's, mm. a, it's a it's a dairy farm with two cows. Is yeah. whatever it's called, Pleasant Hills or whatever it's called. Questionable um, motivation. Yeah, what? <laughs> I know a lot of the eight year olds in the audience are wondering about the economic security of that. that well, exactly, farm. exactly. <laughs> I was scrolling down IMDb earlier and I just stumbled across a review that simply said cows aren't funny <laughs> and I must say my initial in, initial reaction I liked the um, the rabbit and the snake and all that like I agree like you said I agree that was a very strong opening it was very funny when I realised that the main protagonists I have seen this film before but it was ages ago the main protagonists were cows. I just thought, oh, God, just who cares? The heavy, the slow, the don't, you know, they're not exciting, they're unexpressive. And like I'm going to say about Roseanne Barr, I enjoyed it in spite of that. I still don't think they're a good animal choice to build a an entire film around. But how do yeah. you two feel about cows? Do, do you... Do you uh, count bulls in that as well? Because I would, I would say Ferdinand is a great film, um, oh, really good animated film, and is it? Yeah, yeah, well, I think it is. And, and the original Disney short of Ferdinand is also a good film. So um, I think this this scope for it to be done all right, but no, I'm kind of with you. Mm. Did you uh, spot Audrey the Hen? Who was playing Audrey the Hen? Oh, it was. Um, yeah, I did. Mrs. Potato Head. Mrs. Potato Head, Estelle Harris. That's the one, yeah. It was bugging me. I thought, oh, that voice is really familiar. Why do I know that? Oh, it's Mrs. Potato Head. Yep. Yeah, there you are. 
Should we mark our story then? Yep, I think that's a good idea. I haven't decided what I'm going to score it yet. Well, I'll go first. It, it was a it was a romp, and it was a thoroughly enjoyable couple of hours. But nowhere in either the dialogue or the gags or the story itself did they break any ground. So I'm going to give it a six. I gave it a seven. Predictable, enjoyable romp. Definitely watch it again because I thought it was a little patch of fun. Nice. I um, had decided while you were talking that I was going to give it a seven. And then just now I remembered that they used got milk in it. And that is one of my pet peeves. There was just a period of time where got milk was, because of the advert, was something that they just felt they had to throw in everywhere because it's funny. It isn't funny. And I think it just explains where they were missing so much in terms of uh, of their one-liners and uh, some of that comedy writing. So I'm going to give it a six as well. Animation. Look at the animation you, the characterization you, and don't forget the background and the style. Yeah, man. Hey, nice little uh, branding ident there. Quite like that. <laughs> I can't remember it. Did I miss it? It's really quick. Yeah, it goes, it? and then the star goes the wrong way. But I like. Ah, no, I do remember it now. Yes, I liked that. I liked how quick it was because sometimes they really get a bit indulgent with those intros, and you're like, yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah. very good. It's like, mm. boom, stamp, we're off. Mm. Did you did you feel a bit of a um, Sleeping Beauty uh, um, sort of feel about some of the character design? Um, it, the whole thing to me felt like it was, um, and and uh, it probably wasn't, but it was a bit of a, an homage to that kind of period of time you've got these um these animals the horses in particular look very much i mean they look like stock standard your old classic disney horses um and uh it's all got it's it's funny thing to me because i thought when i saw the front cover of it and it was all cows i thought "Mm, i'm not sure that that looks particularly good but as soon as it opened it felt like a disney film it felt like it was trying to play back in that in that sort of period of time and the other thing that I really noticed for me, because you talk about it all the time, Hugh, so it was something that I was looking at, was that the line drawing was really thin and it almost looked like they were trying to draw it back to that whole Xerox period. But I'm probably reading more into it than there actually is. But but it just had this feel to me. And even the backgrounds had a bit of an Evandale sort of feel to them as well, I thought. But there you go. That's... I see what you're saying, yeah. It, it kind of, uh, it feels like a bit of a, um, it's got a bit of, Everything has gone into it, but so there are moments where it looks a bit like classic characters, like the sheriff. I'm thinking of or the old lady. Yeah. Just, well, mm. maybe the sheriff mm. in particular. He had that sort of classic Disney character look. You know, it, it could have been from Fox and the Hound kind of. Laura said it was, it was a, it was Cinderella. Uh, it was it was the king from Cinderella. That was what Laura said when right. he came on, when he came on the screen. There was uh, randomly um, uh, Gomez Adams appears. Towards the end on the train, oh, he looks like him, I didn't and know he's that. got a little stripy suit on. And I just thought, is that intentional? Was he? Uh, he sounded like Steve Buscemi. Was it Steve Buscemi? Yeah, it, it was. was but, with yellow teeth it was, at the end. It looked like yeah. him. Yeah. Again, so, so again, back to that period in time where where they were, you know, they were taking the voice actors and they were making them look like them. They definitely did that with. Um, uh, Randy Quaid, and I think they did it with Steve Buscemi as well. That's who I thought he looked like. Yeah. I thought Steve, Steve Buscemi's character looked like he'd been made to look like Steve Buscemi. Hmm. But anyway, animation in general, uh, again, it's just it's right at the it's right at the peak. It's about mm. to the bubble's about to pop for two D, but it's as good as it can get. So there's nowhere else for it to go. I, I suppose maybe that's part of the problem. People are like, yeah, it's good, right? We get it. I think- we've seen it. But yeah. it's just, it was slick and the subtle CG mixed in as, as we've come to expect now and mm-hmm. multiplane. Yeah, some nice it, multiplane. <laughs> this is what stood out for me is the use of CG with the 2D. You've now got so much depth in 2D and so much crispness around objects and characters because, um, well, it's not drawings anymore, is it? You know, it's all done digitally anyway, even when it's 2D. Mm. Um, the layering and stuff. It's, I mean, it's not right to use an uncanny valley in this situation, is it? But you know when something's just getting so 
it, it's as close to computer animation as you can get without being and still be 2D. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It almost felt South Park, I think is what I'm trying to say. That kind of, you know, tangible. Mm. Mm. It's, it's the last time that they used the CAPS mm. system, isn't it, I think, this film? Didn't do it again after this. Packed it all up. And oh, then I forgot had, about Caps. And then had a bit of a, a nightmare trying to sort things out when it got, got to uh, Fro- Princess and the Frog, didn't they? Yeah. I think. Uh, backgrounds. Now, I was tempted to say they're kind of Chuck Jones inspired, but I think that's just because of where they are. You know, you see him and you yeah. think, who is this inspired by Chuck Jones? And that will know because I could imagine... Please, miss. Please, miss. Roadrunner. Go on. Who's Chuck Jones? Roadrunner. Director. Warner Brothers. Right. Thank you. Um, but yeah. Then, and then I was I was struggling to work out why this was more appealing to me. And I think it is that that's the case. It's to me than like Brother Bear. Because they're both just American outdoors that we've seen to death. But there's something more interesting about this location than Brother Bear. I don't know what it is. I think it's just... I like the idea of a farm on the edge of a desert. It's personal preference, and it reminds me of like a Disney park. Yeah, do you know Disney when it all started? That's what I thought. I thought you'll like this because it feels a bit frontierlandy. Mm. It has that feel about it. So yeah, I get exactly where you're coming from. And it's kind of stylized with it as well. Whereas Brother Bear, it was just flumph, wasn't it? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, good word. (laughs) When they went into town. There was a, I thought, oh no, another western town. Like I've really seen enough of those in my life now. So mm. I was a bit bored then. And also, and then when they got into the desert, I was happy. But then when they went to the mine, I thought, oh, all right, we're here again, are we? You know, there's like four locations in the western. There's the desert, there's the town, the mine, uh, and uh, like a farm. Mm. <laughs> That's it. Mm. That's all you've got. And they went in a saloon as well. Yeah. Now, do you know what I liked about the the saloon bit? The the whole when they went, oh no, there's a gunfight or something. Um, what what I liked about that, and I think this is another reason it had a bit of a theme parky feel to it, is it was just a bunch of little gags of silly little things that they did to, that that happened. You can imagine being sat like being on on Phantom Manor and and those being part of the things that you see that as you as you're traveling along in your Doom buggy or whatever. Um, I, I quite like that. It felt quite imaginative that there was loads of different little bits and bats going on at times. I, I really quite like that. Mm. Did you like the rabbit? Yeah. I thought he was good. The one good. with the neckerchief. The one with the peg leg. Yeah, yeah. Lucky, lucky. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. He was. He was fine. He was good. <laughs> I, th- I thought it was nice. I, th- I thought he was very nicely animated. Reminded yeah. reminded me again just of older. Older, older style of animating, not something that. I mean, when, when was the last time we had animals talking? That's a Lion very King. interesting question. Well, it was it was Brother Bear, wasn't it? Yeah, Brother but Bear. I don't count that. <laughs> I don't count that because that was just when we just had animals. They, they weren't talking in human worlds, were they? Yeah. No, and Lion King was very different. Hmm. Not, it's not something we've done for a while, is it? It's weird that there was uh, a lot of. Um, Multiplane because like, they, you know, it's not the same depth that you get in like a forest, is it? But no. yet they still manage to get a lot of depth of in this, even it's all and stuff. Open plains, yeah. Did nice. you notice how abrupt it was though? There was there was one scene where where they were closing in a house, and um, you you saw the the fence post moving slightly, and then they obviously decided they were there and just boom stopped, like really abruptly stopped. Right. It, it was a yeah. I, I was kind felt, of, oh, that's... Oh, no, I don't <laughs> I felt there was quite a few um, digital panning shots that were just there almost for the sake of it. Like, there was one where they were focusing on a sign and then the camera panned down and round and over mm. a building and there to see, a, um, I want to say, a truck, a cart coming down the dust thing. But the way the camera moved was so unnecessary. If you were directing a live-action film, you wouldn't have bothered doing that. If you were directing a 2D film, you couldn't have done that. It was very much, look, we've got a new toy, Mm. let's throw this camera around a bit kind of thing. And it didn't add much. I also spotted a few times when 3D turned to 2D and I couldn't decide if it was stylistic and I liked it or whether it was just a bit 
awkward. One mm. example is they had a very clearly uh, 3D CG hair bale and then someone stuck a fork in and got some hay off it and then the hay that they just picked up was 2D on the fork <laughs> and then they threw that on the ground. You know, it was oh, just things that. like this. But they're having to... Um, they are using both systems and it's so hard to tell which system they're using more than the other at this mm. point in history. It's it's such a blend. I mean, 2D's clinging on by its fingernails that I just felt it, it was... If you if you notice things, it's wrong. If you can see the three D meeting the two D, in my mind, they just haven't quite got it right. Yeah. It should be seamless, shouldn't it? Yeah, it, it's interesting. By the way, what you said about the camera panning, um, Bob Sangwell posted today on the on his Facebook page, Disney Then and Now, Now and Then, whichever. Um, mm. That uh, he was posted about po- uh, Pinocchio. Um, and one of the things he said about that was was how impressive it that whole opening um multiplane shot as it goes in into the village and you can see everybody like to the window. playing and stuff and straight in through the window and how fantastic that is and the level of detail and the effort that they must have gone to to do that and then you've got pans like that where it com- where it's coming out of the village and over the top and then the cows are walking over the hill it still looks quite impressive but i'm interested to know just how comparable they are in terms of effort <laughs> yeah, but it's it's how much of it is driven by this is exactly the, this is the best artistic cho- choice for mm. this moment in the film, and how much of it is driven by because we can, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. One one of the reviews I read about um, about this, I think I was when I was looking on IMDb earlier as well. Um, he said something along the lines of. Uh, they're just in uh, Disney at, at this period were just interested in making money and they weren't bothered about anything else. Mm-hmm. And and I kind of get that, but then anytime anytime that's used as an excuse for how a film is, I think about the individual people who've put in the effort and the work. And mm-hmm. to actually, you know, I know we we, we criticise and you know we critique things and we say we don't like this and we don't like that, but I don't think at any point we we're particularly targeting specific people and saying you know. They're, they're, what they're doing isn't isn't worthwhile, isn't isn't art. No, I'm 100 percent behind you with that, Chris. But I I do think that the that comment about this period is valid, and it's at the point it was somewhere after Aladdin when the decision was absolutely made that they were doing one a year, and that yeah, was, it yeah. was just decided we're doing one a year. In which case, the everybody had deadlines to meet. They wanted the film moving up to hit this slot or that slot for the release date. And I think if you think about the early days of Walt, it's so easy to say the early days of Walt when it's like knocking on a hundred years ago, you know, it's a different world, but the amount of films that got concept art and full rights and then got left on the cutting room floor for 15, 20 years and then brought back and, and retreated. And whereas this, well, no, I mean, we've all said we enjoyed this, so it's just a comment on it in general. But this got put on the cutting room floor, and then someone said, oh, we've nothing to release in in 2004, come on, let's rework it. And it's a bit square peg round holeish. do you know what I mean? It's like, we're mm. going to release this movie, come hell or high water. That's That's where I think the issue is, as opposed to only when it's ready, only when it's perfect. Yes, I get your point. Yeah, yeah. Um... Here's a question for you on animation. Do you think this would have worked better as an Aardman film uh, than a Disney film? Because it's got a real Aardman feel to it, I think. It's got a real chicken run feel to it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Or even Sean, Sean the Sheep. What, with the Aardman sense of humour as well, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I think anything. It would have been great, would. wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's because we're British. Schindler's <laughs> List would be good uh, by Aardman. <laughs> And, and speaking of Ardman, the the upcoming film Turning Red, don't you think that looks like it's Ardman animation? Oh yeah, bit of Bristol sense of humour. It's the it's the the, <coughs> the rounded sides of the mouths. Have, have a look on the art. On, oh on right, the okay, yeah, yeah. Cover on the art cover, cover piece hmm. work whatever poster. That's the word. Have a look on the poster. Um, yeah, I just I think I'll, it has I'll a bit of milk. Do it. You do it Turning now. Turning red poster. Speaking of mouths. A lot of characters had Jafar's mouth. Oh, yeah, it is a bit admin, isn't it? You know, with, like, sharp corners. 
Yeah, yeah. I, Actually, I get... though... Oh, go on. It's, um, it's also a, a, a Cal Arts style, is that, that mouth. Oh, right, okay. Uh, any animation from the last sort of 10 years has all had that kind of... Look, but actually, it is sort of admin in a way as well. But yeah, it's a it's a Cal Arts style, is that? There you go. Um, oh, what were you saying, Lucy? Sorry. <laughs> they all had Jafar's mouth. All the oh, lips yeah. were really like triangular. But that that was one of the things I didn't get with those cows. So why Roseanne talks a lot, so she has a big mouth, yeah. But as an mm. animation piece, her that character's face worked. Whereas the other two just didn't at all. It was weird. They were they were like you know in the um, Roadrunner cartoons when they have Alum and the mouse shrink, it's a bit like that. Mm. No, they you have don't what? know what I mean, do you? Alum. Mm. Road Roadrunner has Alum mouth. Oh right, okay. And then they can't put stuff in the mouth, so the coyote can't eat them. That's what happens. It's made by Acme. You've broken Lucy. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> um, just uh, like anyone, anyone listening, which will be anyone who's listening now. Um, I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, just look at Cal Arts, C A L Arts, and you as well, Chris. After okay, this, I will. And you'll see exactly what I mean. There's a, a mouth shape. Oh, uh, yeah. It's very, uh, it's definitely a thing. Anyway. Okay. Shall we score the animation? Yeah. Uh, I would give it a... Oh, no, that's story. I've, I've given it a nine. Because, a nine, you know, it's, eh? uh, it's slick. The backgrounds are nice. It's not 100% blowing me, me, me socks off. So, you know, I can't give it a ten. And I really don't like those pigs. But mm. hard to fault, really. I've given it a nine. I'm going to give it a seven, I think. No, I'm going to give it an eight. I'll give it an eight, I will. I quite like the old-fashioned sort of feel to it. And it made me feel like I was back in a place where... Um, I could enjoy films for this, for the fact that they're just enjoyable, and I think a lot of that was to do with the visuals, and it, it took me back to more of my kind of childhood era, that that whole Robin Hood period, than um, the the more difficult to watch, to look at stuff that we've had of late. So yeah, give it an end. I have a benchmark that I like to use to decide uh, to look inside myself and think how much did I like this. And it's, is there a still that I would frame and put as art on my wall? And there are some movies where I could get 25 pieces of art out of it. There's not a single frame of this film that I would want as art on my wall particularly. It's very accomplished. It's very slick. Not my style. Just doesn't appeal to me as a look. So I'm going to give it a six. Mm-hmm. Music then. Do you know, the music I thought is brilliant and it's a shame we've not been hearing these more often. Yes. There is, there are some gems in here. From the off. You ain't, brackets, home on the range. Rousing musical number. It really felt like you know I was getting the uh, the um you know opening night in a musical vibes for that. You know yeah, I mean? absolutely. Yeah. Last week I said that one thing would have made Bro- Brother Bear an absolute classic, and that's if Alan Menken had written the music for it. And now we know why he didn't. He was busy doing this. Mm, yeah. Uh, lucky, lucky this. I know. I know. I still think he would have been the secret sauce to Brother Bear had Brother Bear warranted it. But he does cast a little spell over everything he touches. And I said in other things we've talked about, what I really like is his ability to adapt to style and genre. Mm. And I was actually quite surprised um, because I, I, I do my research while I watch it. And when I read how I do the film, it was Alan Menken. I hadn't spotted it. And um, we'd had the had we had the Katie Lang yeah we'd had the Katie Lang song by then, and I just thought that they'd got some country music, western folk to do it. Kenny Rogers, um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> who's, who's topical at the moment? We'll get Kenny Rogers. Yeah, let's yeah. get Kenny Rogers to do it. Um, Chris yeah. Christopherson. 
but I, I just think it's so impressive how he can put his finger on the pulse of a of a genre, but still make it Broadway. That's yeah. what he does, and that's what he does here, and it's fab. Little well, patch of heaven. That was a nice song. I was, I was writing him as, as he went along, mm. and it's just it kind of swings that one. It's uh, it was just nice. It had a touch of class about it, uh, and as we, you were saying before, like. I was really pleased, like as you guys were, when they tricked us into thinking that it's just going to be a standard villain song, you know, and he definitely did that on purpose. And then mm. he throws his costume off and he's all sequins and then he starts yodeling and he, you know, he looks fabulous. <laughs> I loved that. Can I just oh. say as well, I really like American yodeling. Obviously different to Austrian yodeling. There's mm. something about Western yodeling that I just find so appealing and I can't tell you why. Yodeling cowboy. Yeah, now, I I don't know if, if you've if you've used it or not in the kids edit, but I actually did a bit of yodeling on that because, uh, and again, you'll have already heard this, but Lucas likened bits of this to the um, World of Mickey Mouse short um, about cheese wranglers, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so yeah. I asked him to do a bit of yodeling, and he wouldn't, but um, I did. <laughs> so so uh, bon- yeah, there might be Bonnie a did it. There. Bonnie did a tiny amount, but she couldn't remember the tune. <laughs> I, uh, I I love this music. Do you know what? I went into this film, as you know, thinking it was going to be a 3D film, thinking the idea of musicals completely disappeared until uh, un- until the uh, Princess, Princess and the Frog, Frog. comes back. Um, so it's, it opened. I thought, oh, well, this is a pretty decent piece of music to open open the film. It started with the place. I like it. And then there was that the, the slower number when they got to the ranch, and it's and, and I thought oh, this is really good, but no one's singing it, so it's obviously just. They've just chosen some music, but it's nice. They've written music specifically for it. What a great idea. And then that song came on, the villain song, and I I thought, no, somebody's written all this music. This is this is actually a this is actually a proper musical Disney film. We haven't had mm. one of these for ages. Not a good one anyway. And mm. uh, so, so I straight away went and, and hunted out to find out who it was and wasn't at all surprised to see that it was uh Menken. Um I thought it was brilliant. Just was that the brilliant. only a musical song that was sung by a character. Am I right in thinking that? The yodeling one? I think, I think one? so, because the other one is uh, yeah. Will Never Shine Again, which is just the Bonnie Raitt one, yeah. where, where she's uh, looking at the memories yeah, and in a few the reprises, CG right? room. Yeah, uh, I think, think. yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Right. Is, that's, so that's a different route for Menken then, isn't it? That's the only diegetic mm. song in... That's the word I was searching my brain for. Or, or, or diegetic, if you like. Non-diegetic sound and diegetic sound. Um, Yeah, I think that's what threw me off. And because uh, this has been the trend recently to have montage songs. And in a way, the first two songs were montage songs. Obviously, the opening song is an opening song. Then Little Patch of Heaven sort of introduced us to there. I think that's what threw me off. But it was... It's just a better example of it than having Sting. (laughs) Or... (laughs) <laughs> we're living out here on this farm <laughs> we're trying to make ends meet etc <laughs> yeah uh. has anyone else anything else to say I feel like we've uh, with the music no not really I just thought it was great yeah and good scoring as well yeah and good yeah. use of themes from things like um, William Tell Overture and you know all those familiar themes and Home mm. on the Range itself. Bit of Beethoven kind of in there as well, and it feels yes. a bit. Uh, you know, Toy Story's got that Western feel as well, hasn't it? Yeah, because well, of Woody, basically. But mm. you know, it's so it's all kind of got this nostalgic, yeah, like wholesome, good old fashioned. It's just nice. Yes, yes, yes. Chris, do you want to score it for us? Uh, yes, I'm going to give it an eight. Because as much as I loved it, it's not it's not the best that Menkin's done. It's not the best we've seen from Disney. Um, and there wasn't enough of it. If anything, I would say I would like a few more songs in there. So I'm going to give it an eight. I think it's one of the best of the last five or so films musically. Um, however, I don't find it terribly 
terribly memorable right now. Maybe if I watched it a few more times, some things would really mm. catch me. Like you say, I don't think it's the best Menkin, but I think that the music is very well done for this film. is is delivered. So I'm going to mm. give it an eight as well. I think this is the biggest hidden gem I've come across in this entire show's history. And I've given it a big heffing ten. Whoa. Uh, I almost <laughs> subtracted a mark for the uh, the sort of really bog-standard country song in the end credits, but I thought, it's the end credits, that's fine. It's not detracting from my We've had experience of the, the film. So I've given it a 10. I loved it. And nice. I, was, I was keen to listen to it again. Cool. What does that mean, then? Uh, that means the scores are in, and it's uh, a respectable 76. Whoa, 76. Not bad, not bad. Not bad at all, is it? That's somewhere around the... Well... Saludos Amigos, is it? Somewhere around there. When it was released in the cinema, it it had a very disappointing opening weekend, coming in fourth in the box office, behind Scooby-Doo 2, Hellboy, and something else that I haven't written down. I hadn't heard of it, so I didn't worry. Um, It... Made a profit overall, albeit a very disappointing one. It cost one hundred and ten million to produce. We're into big money now, aren't we? Do you remember mm-hmm. when um, Snow White bust all records by making eight million worldwide? Um, and it brought in one hundred and forty-five point five million, so it made a thirty-five point five million profit. Not to be sniffed at, but certainly not to Disney standards. Now then, what is our average on uh, IMDb? Can you remember? 7.3, do we say? Yeah. This got 5.4 on IMDb. So Mm -hmm. they didn't agree with us. I think it's Disney fatigue at this point. I don't think many people have seen it. Also, Pixar. People are getting used to Pixar Mm. now. Like, what has The Incredibles come out already now? 2004. Mm. Yeah, we've had Nemo, Incredibles. People are like going, mm, that's, oh, what, yeah. that's what we want to see now. This is no Incredibles. I don't care how much you enjoyed yourself, it's no Incredibles. I'll tell you what it is, though, according to the score. It is an onwards. It's an onward. I would say it's an onwards. Mm. <laughs> uh, onwards, it's Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty, 75. Yeah, still. Robin Hood, 77, that. so not quite Robin Hood, but. Um, Rotten Tomatoes, which tends to be a little more discerning. Uh, The critics agreed completely with IMDb. They've given it 53%. But the audience members hated it and have given it 29%. Whoa. Atlantis got 76%. I can't... I stand by our 76. I think between us, we've kind of... We've put it just about where I think it deserves to be on the 76. Mm. I think that what it appears to be, it's better than it appears to be. From the posters, from the promotion, from the character design, nothing about it. Cows. Nothing makes me want to watch it. And I think if people are going in with that preconception, um, I can see why they would just slam it. Like that person said on IMDb, cows aren't funny. But yeah, cows ain't funny. I think, like Hugh says, I think there's a small hidden gem. So I'm hoping that there'll be listeners out there who've never seen this. I'm sure there's loads. I don't think it's one of the most popular Disney films who's thought, you know what, I'm going to give this a try. 37 Disney Street thought it was all right. Mm. <laughs> do, do you know what's interesting? 2004 animated films... To, to for it to go up against essentially were Shark Tale, which I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a terrible film. Oh, it's terrible. Disgusting. They've got the eyes on the front of the head. It's really weird, like faces. Yep. Uh, the Polar Express. So you know, I kind of get that, but it being a different time of year completely, so it's not really taking it on. Garfield's the only other thing of any note. There was nothing. It was this April. Yeah. What came Maybe out? Maybe they just released it at the wrong time. Mm. Or maybe there were a string of great family films instead. Who knows? I, I just... I ju- nothing about the poster for this. Nothing. 
makes me think, oh, I'd like to see that. Nothing. No. No, I And I was that. a Disney fan even back then. I was a big Disney fan. Favourite bits? <laughs> My favourite bit was right at the end when they all come off with their, uh, with their winning uh, number one lapel, uh, lapels, what's the word? Things. Badges. I'm going to call them badges. That's not what I mean either. Anyway, and, uh, and the chickens get off the back of the van Lava- and they're just badges. Lavaliers? No, not lavaliers. That's not <laughs> what they're called either, is it? <laughs> I can't think what they're called. What are they called? Rosettes. When you get... Rosette, thank you, yeah. And the chickens come off with their rosettes and you can just see the rosettes and they turn around and, and it's the chickens as they walk past. I found that very amusing. My other favourite bit, which I meant to talk about in animation, completely forgot to, is uh, when uh, Buck's dreaming, right, right at the start, the first time you see him, and it goes into yeah. this, whole, this whole thing because it's stylized, it's done in a completely different way to the rest of the film and I really, I really, really liked that bit. That was yeah, he's having a little action sequence dream. Yeah. Nice. My best bit is when Cuba Gooding's character goes up to three cows and goes, got milk? Oh. <laughs> I think that's really funny. I My favourite bit was, um, now I was writing notes, so I, I, I was trying to catch up on this, so I think what happened here is, is what actually happened on screen, but uh, as far as I can work out, someone said, we don't know if that truck is going to the cattle drive. And then coincidentally, a donkey walks past and says to the bull or whatever who's, who's, who's going to pull that car he says like hey have fun on the cattle drive and he just goes okay then mm-hmm. <laughs> thus confirming that he is going to the cattle drive right on cue thought it was really funny it was a nice little set of uh, of coincidences and stuff there I, I thought that whole bit just kind of worked quite nicely yeah yeah cry factor go on then it's absolutely beautiful. He really loves it. I don't know why they just can't be together. <laughs> Hugh's cry factor. Uh, will the sun ever shine again? When she's looking at the memories. Bit of a lump in the throat, so a three, a gentle three. Now, probably that second drip was I paused. Because I got I got so cocky that the first one gone so well that I paused and I should have kept the momentum going. I'm sorry. It's all right. We'll let you off. Uh, I think we had one response to this on Twitter. Mm. Oh, I'm seeing I've got a couple of... No, hang on. Right, so it was uh, Caitlin Jackson at bluesock underscore bell. Oh, yes. Uh, she's uh, well. So I said, you know, we're discussing it. What do you think? Uh, she says, <laughs> "This is the only response." <laughs> I never had much interesting seeing this one, so I didn't. Am I missing out on a classic? <laughs> and, I uh, think that sums it up. And I said, you know, without giving too much away for tonight's show, I'd say it's definitely worth a look, and it is worth a look. It's an easy watch. It's short-ish, so mm-hmm. bang it on. There's something there about Bob Sangwell's fi- oh favorite barbershop song. Little Patch of Heaven. There's a like so so yeah. Bob Sangwell's posted a, a link to Little Patch of Heaven, a barbershop quartet song. Ah, oh, nice. Very good. Um, look, in a few, we're just getting back on on the trail here, aren't we? With what this is our second <laughs> film of pun? the year. A little bit, yeah. You know, I thought I'd keep it in in the thinking. On, um, on, on theme. Yeah, um, and then and and. Next time, in two weeks' time, I guess we'll be doing is it Chicken Little, I think, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. One of the Chicken Little, I think, yeah. Great, something to look forward to, but... I like it. On the 5th of March, there's a, a new film coming out uh, called Raya. Raya, Raya. 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 <laughs> it's pronounced ra- Raya. <laughs> Raya. Raya. And the and the last dragon or lost dragon or the dragon that that's the, the final dragon, one uh, for which the the design no one likes on Twitter <laughs> because it looks like a um, generic frozen Disney eyes and Twitter rules the world. Well, it did for Sonic, didn't it? It definitely ruled the world for Sonic. Yeah, mm, like true. Make changes here. Um, so I, 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 I'm assuming we're going to plan to to do a review of that. We um, talked about that, that this afternoon, didn't we? So mm. I guess we'll we'll do that and then carry on again. But also, something just came to my mind was 
the film that's coming after that, Encanto, is it? Encanto mm-hmm. is what it's called? Yeah. That will be the 60th classic. 6-0. Yeah. So that's something quite interesting to look forward to, isn't it? It just hadn't occurred to me. Above these go. next two... I thought Encanto was Pixar. Uh, oh, no, that... No, it's the it's that's the next um, Disney animated, uh, Disney animated Studios. Yeah, yeah, that's the Lin Manuel Miranda musical. One. Oh, okay, okay, I take yes. it back. You take it back. Yeah, <laughs> there you are. Cool. Wow. What else do we know anyway? Are we all done. Anything else you'd like to say before we wrap this up? I've put another DVC uh, video up on YouTube. Please watch it. I'm talking money, how much it costs, Ooh. and is it worth it? Very good. I have another um, book review to record, uh, which I haven't done yet, but I also have a copy of the book that I'm reviewing to give away as well. So some point Ooh. I'll do that. I know that's quite exciting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got 37 Quizney Street. Um, round two was released last Wednesday. Round three will be released next Wednesday, not this Wednesday, next Wednesday. Come and uh, check out which... my new uh, writing board. Yeah. Very excited about it. It's, it's a nice writing board. I like it's it a lovely, lot. lovely, isn't it? Yeah, it's a winner. Um, and uh, on the DLP show, we've just tried out some new camera trickery magic, which I guess I'm going to have to try out for 37 Christmas Street for the next episode as well. So I've got my work out there, but uh, it's all going quite well, I think, isn't it? You're doing very well. <laughs> um, yeah. So we'll be back in two weeks' time with um, Chicken Little. Hey. Um, hey. Yeah. So we'll see you I'm then. looking forward to it. Hugh likes it. Well, I did the, when I first saw it a couple of years ago. So we'll see. But yeah, I think it's, again, I think it's going to be just an easy one, an easy, light-hearted watch. Yeah. Do you know what I've never seen? Meet the Robinsons. Never seen oh, it. I seen love a... Meet the Robinsons. Do you? Yeah, I really, really and like it. Bolts is Bolts coming up. Bolts coming up, and Bolts then it's and then right, it gets yeah. good again after that. No, yeah. I do. I like this little period of these weird ones. These like three, but we've got the Wild as well. Don't forget, we do have the Wild. Yeah, which is is such a great Disney classic that it's omitted from the US Disney classics. And it's in not in favour only... of dinosaur. <laughs> You have to go searching for it on Disney Plus. It's not just like it, like it's all categorized now. It says like like two thousands, and there's you know like all the films. It's not in there. You have to go searching for it. So they've not put it up front. They've tucked it away. I wonder why that is. Oh, we've got stars coming as well. Like week week after next, haven't we? It's all on Disney Plus. Oh, star. star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's all sorts happening. It's all good. Mm. And now we will. Hey, hey, there we go. Um, Thank you very much, everybody. We'll uh, speak to you in a couple of weeks' time. Bye. Bye. Hasta la vista, heifers. He says that in, you know, okay. Nice. (laughs) 